The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. was planning on starting Matthew chapter 11 today and was really excited about it. Wonderful text about John the Baptist and man, I was excited about it. Studied all week and, and thought through it and I just couldn't pull it together. I was working till late last night and, and so I... I get in the bed, if I'm honest, a, a bit frustrated, and I thought, Lord, I just don't feel, I feel like I need another week on this, and I thought, what in the world do I, do I preach? And that's a scary when it's 11 o'clock on Saturday evening, but I'm so grateful, I'm so comfortable with you guys <laughs> that I'm like, well, they'll, they'll be uh, gracious uh, no, no matter what, but... I was uh, just praying and saying, Lord, what, what, should I, what should I teach on? And so uh, I'll tell you the connection in a minute to last week, but I want to dovetail off last week's message, and I want to talk about holiness, and namely about not just about the holiness of God, but about our pursuit of holiness, God's call for His people to be holy. And so, you know how you do, if you ever feel like you've sensed the Lord, you, you, if you're like me, you tend to question it. Was that the Lord or was that my dinner? You know, was that the Lord or is that just me in my mind conjuring up these ideas? So, I asked the Lord for con confirmation and I happened just to get on our, our service order for our church and look at the songs. And right after my song, or my, my sermon, you want to guess what the scheduled song might be? Anybody? Holy holy, holy. I think it's the Lord. So I'm excited about the Lord, what the Lord may have for us this morning. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of First Peter. And I don't even have the words on the screen today, so please get your, your printed Bible out or your, your phone and your phone version. And when you have First Peter chapter 1, stand to your feet if you would. First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 13. You ready? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, and who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, 
through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So last week I preached from John chapter 8. First time I'd ever preached, I think, from that passage about the woman who was caught in adultery. And remember, she was brought by some of the religious leaders before Jesus and a crowd of people as he was teaching in the temple. And she stood accused, being caught in the very act of adultery. There was no question that she was guilty. So she stood guilty before Jesus and the crowd of people and before a holy God. According to God's law, we, we, we went back to the Old Testament and saw that her punishment should have been that she and the man that she was having adult, committing adultery with, that they would both be stoned. And we, we talk through that a bit. It's like, wow, that's harsh. Well, the Old Testament shows us, and the New, I would argue, the seriousness of sin. But it's so interesting, though she stood guilty before Jesus, what did Jesus do? He did not condemn her, but he forgave her, and he offered her grace, which then begs the question, how in that moment did Jesus forgive her and not compromise the justice of God? Because God's law said, here's the penalty for sin, it's death. And yet, Jesus let her walk away guilt-free. How could he do that without compromising God's justice? And what we learned is that he could do that without compromising God's justice because in a short time, he would pay the penalty of death himself at Calvary. And while we were yet sinners, he became sin for us. He died in our place that we might become the righteousness of God. So it's a beautiful reason to celebrate our salvation, to celebrate the cross, to glory in the cross of Christ. But we ended last week by just mentioning that the story of the woman caught in adultery did not stop there. What were Jesus' final words to her? He said, no, you're not condemned, but go and sin no more. So after absolving her from guilt, he didn't say, hey, listen, Jesus didn't say to the woman, just, hey, keep walking in the grace of God, live however you want. Go and sin no more, is what he said. So we closed by remembering that God's grace and pardon do not serve as a license to sin. And so there's this risk in, in, in focusing too much on the grace of God. That, that, that we might say, listen, so some might say, well, if you preach too much about grace, people will take that as a license to sin. It's like absolutely not. Do you know that as great as forgiveness is, 
that salvation brings us something even greater? First and foremost, it brings us God. As a matter of fact, you can go to 1 Peter and you can read through and, and, and it says that Christ died to bring us near to God. The greatest gift of salvation, it's not just forgiveness, it's that we get God. It's the greatest joy, it's the greatest treasure. We get Him eternally, full access to the Father. We can now come boldly to the throne of grace because of what Jesus did at Calvary. And then, not only do we get God, but we now, by His grace, are able, we are empowered to walk in ways that are pleasing to Him, which we could not do apart from the cross. And so I want to lean into that point a little bit more today. So we'll see in the text that the cross does not just free us from the stain, or you might say the guilt of sin, but listen, very important, it effectively empowers us in the killing, or you might say the conquering of sin. I'll say it again, the cross does not just free us from the stain of sin, but it effectively empowers us for the killing of sin, or the conquering of sin. That we might live holy lives committed to the Lord. Biblical meaning, just in case you're not familiar with the term holiness, you might think of holiness and maybe you think of wearing your hair in a bun, which if that's your style, more power to you. You might think of wearing long dresses and no makeup. Friends, it's, that's not holiness necessarily. Holiness is simply, it means to be set apart. How many know God is holy? And not only is he just set apart, R.C. Sproul used to say that, G, that, that God is not set apart from us, from his creation, like a chair is set apart from a table. No, his holiness, his set-apartness transcends us. He is not just distinct from us, but he is transcendentally, he, he is above and beyond us. And so there's this idea, not just of his transcendence and his glory and majesty, but in his purity. We call this transcendent purity. God is holy, and apart from him we are not. But yet, it's interesting, God has given every believer this mandate to be holy, to be set apart. Set apart from sin and set apart unto himself. Let me just read you one verse from Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll, I'll refer to this again a little bit later. But this is Hebrews 12, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews, speaking to believers, says, Strive for peace with everyone. How are you doing with that? And, remember, now he's saying, remember the word strive. Strive for peace and for the holiness of, without which no one will see the Lord. So without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You might now see why this message is so important and perhaps why the Lord would have us hear it today. Let me just give you three points. Let me just tell you where we're going. Number one, I want to look at the motivation for holiness. 
Number two, the method of holiness. And number three, the mechanics of holiness. In other words, what is holiness? What are the particulars? What does it look like in the life of a believer? So number one, the motivation for holiness. Why should we pursue it? Well, I love the story of the couple. We're about to go on vacation, and the man's wife is on a business trip, so he decides, listen, I'll go to Florida first, and then she'll join me the following day. So when he reaches his hotel, he decides, hey, I'm going to send my wife a quick email. Unfortunately, when typing her address, he mistypes a letter, and his note is directed instead to a widow whose husband had just passed away one day before. So when the grieving widow checks her email, she takes one look at the monitor, and she lets out a piercing scream, and she falls to the floor. At the sound, her family rushes into the room and sees the note on her screen, which reads, Dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything prepared for your soon arrival. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> How many of you know that will make you reconsider your life and the way you live? What's the motivation for us to live and walk in holiness? Verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I would argue the first reason to pursue holiness is because of our future inheritance as believers. The book of 1 Peter, you might remember we went through the entire book not uh, maybe a few years back. But the book of 1 Peter is addressed to elect exiles. It's like, what is that? Well, these are mainly Gentile Christians who are experiencing persecution and suffering. They then spread throughout the land... And they are exiles in the sense that this world is not their home, and they feel it. Do you feel that today? Do you feel like strangers and pil pilgrims in this world? And so the people of God are longing for new creation, for the consummation of God's kingdom, in which they shall forever live with the Lord. And so Peter reminds them, if you go back in, in the first several verses of this chapter, he encourages them that there is an inheritance for them. That they can endure the, the short suffering of this life because they have eternal rewards. He reminds them of the hope that they have in Christ for final salvation. And he's using the hope to encourage them in suffering. And so the text today begins with the word Therefore, which connects this call to be holy with what Peter has said about that inheritance, that future hope. I think it's a huge motivation to live holy lives, to keep running the race. Oh, friend, when you get discouraged, when you feel like you can't live counterculturally anymore, you just think about that inheritance your salvation, and you keep running the race. Be holy because you are a citizen of heaven. 
first and foremost. Before you're an American citizen, before you're a, a person of this world, we're in the world but not of the world, friend, you are a citizen of heaven. What a joy! That's the first motivation. The second is simply God has commanded us to be holy. Look at verse 15. He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, Peter's quoting here from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, showing us that the mandate to be holy is not just for Israel in the Old Testament, but it is for all the people of God. And I would just argue, you know, many of you are mothers in here, and if your child, if you command your child to do something, mamas, and the child says, why should I? What's your answer? Because I said so. And some of you say something like this, I brought you into this world and, and you're not joking. My mom is five foot tall and I'm still scared of her. That's right. You must know my mama. If we fear mom and dad like that, listen, how much more should we fear the Lord? You know, think of baptism, water baptism. There's this debate. Well, is baptism necessary for salvation? There are uh, Protestant denominations that say, yeah, you need to be baptized to be, you know, it's part of the salvation process. Others say, well, no, we're, you know, it's not part of the process. And those who argue yes would not say it's a salvation by works. They just say that is your profession of faith. And my point is this. Why do you ask? Jesus said be baptized. Get baptized. Don't ask why. Don't try to figure it all out. Be baptized. He's called you to be holy. Be holy. So first motivation is future inheritance. Second is God said so. And thirdly, the, the, the third reason that we, our motivation to be holy is that Christians will be judged according to their deeds. Verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In this life and at the final judgment, you and I will be judged or we will be rewarded based upon works. It's not salvation by works. But we will be judged, we'll, we'll give an account, if you like, of our works. We're all going to stand who are in Christ before the judgment seat of Christ to give account for our words, for our posts, <laughs> social media posts. That'll get you to squirm. And our actions, friends, that should motivate us to holiness. Let me give you one more motivation here, and it's simply this. That it's not optional. I'll go back to that Hebrews verse. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now think through that for a moment. Holiness is not like an option on a new vehicle that you purchase. Right? Because without it, no one will see the Lord. Well, that seems like a weight that's heavy to bear. And you might say, man, that really sounds like earning your salvation. And it's like, no. Holiness is not the means of salvation, but it is the evidence of salvation. 
The cross is effectually working to make us holy. And the cross does not fail. So I would say this. If you claim to be saved, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are not pursuing holiness, there is no level of holiness in your life, here's what I would argue, that maybe you need to check the reality of your salvation. Because the cross is effective in not just the forgiveness of sin, but in the conquering of sin. So the Scriptures give us great motivation to be holy. So then the question becomes, well, how do we do this? How do we become holy? I'm glad you asked. What's the method? So I would argue that holiness in one sense is a joint partnership between God and the Christian. God has made us holy in Christ. Positionally. So when you receive Christ, you this is why you, you, you become a saint. So if you're the person sitting next to you is a Christian, he or she is a saint. And you're like, seriously? You don't live with them. Well, positionally, you are a saint. And yet the Bible tells us to strive for holiness. And you know what I think the Bible is calling us to? It's calling us to act like who we now are in Christ. So how are we made holy? We are made holy by Christ's finished work. Look at verse 17. If you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile, knowing, get this, that you were ransomed. Ransomed from what? Your futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Did you get that? You were ransomed, bought, purchased from your futile ways. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without spot or blemish, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God, not in yourself, in God. So because of the fallen nature of human beings, we could not possibly live holy lives in and of ourselves. Because even our best deeds are not holy. Oh, maybe compared to your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, that must be true for a Wilda, your actions might look holy. But compared to God, they're as filthy rags. 
It's like you think back to the book of Isaiah, one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, where he has this uh, encounter with the presence of God. He is uh, taken uh, in the Spirit somehow. There's some mystery there, but into the throne room of God. He's in the very throne room, and he says that he cries out, Woe is me! For I am a man of unclean lips, and I am amongst the people of unclean lips. But I love the story because while that is true, God cleansed Isaiah, atoned for his sin, and set him apart for his good purposes. And it's what God does for every Christian. You see, Isaiah was a leader amongst his people. He was the one, one of the more godly, if not the most godly amongst the people of his generation. He could have felt pretty good about his righteousness or where he stood with the Lord. But then he goes to the throne room of God and he gets a glimpse of God's holiness. And he says, woe is me. God works in the heart of every believer to make him or her holy. I want to stress this. Beloved, you cannot make yourself holy. And if you are striving in that aim to, to try to earn God's favor, to try to make yourself acceptable before Him, it won't work. If it could, Jesus would not have had to give His life as a ransom for you. It would make the cross pointless. So we have no ability in and of ourselves to become holy, but Christ. <laughs> Christ has ransomed us from a life of futility and sin, and we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So without Jesus, there's no holiness, but with Him, we are made holy to the glory of God. That's First point I want to make about the method. How does this holiness work? And then secondly, I would say, okay, Christ has made us holy. So I think the Bible teaches that we work out what God works in. You say it again. We work out what God works in. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former Ignorance. Before Christ, we were all ignorant. This is an imperative. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It shows that we have responsibility. God has worked in us. And now because of His inward work, we are commanded... Because we're empowered now by the Holy Spirit. Do not be conformed to the former passions. The worldly passions that you used to have. Let me read a text from the book of Philippians chapter 2. Paul writing to the church at Philippi says this. Beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen to what he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Let me just illustrate this. I, I think, matter of fact, Jerry Bridges gives a great illustration to show how this works in the life of a believer. Comparing this idea of working out what God works in to how a farmer gets a successful harvest. Listen to me. A farmer plows his field. He sows the seed. He fertilizes. He cultivates. All while knowing that the final analysis, that in the final analysis, he is utterly dependent on forces outside of himself. He knows he cannot cause the seeds to germinate. He can't produce the rain or the sunshine for growing and harvesting the crop. For a successful harvest, here's the point, he's dependent on these things from God. Yet the farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow, to plant, to fertilize, to cultivate, no matter what the sunshine or the rain looks like, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. So you could say in a sense that the farmer is in partnership with God and he will reap its benefits only when he has fulfilled his own responsibilities. And so no one can attain any degree of holiness without God working is his or her life, but just as surely no one will attain it without the effort on his or her own part. Because God has made it possible to walk in holiness, but now he's been given us the responsibility to carry it out. So we're made holy by Christ, and when the work happens in our life, hear me, we will, if we're truly safe, walk it out. Because the Lord has made us new creations in him. So that's the method. Well, what does holiness actually look like? What's the, what are the mechanics of holiness? Well, nestled throughout this text are at least three components, if you will, of holiness. Number one, holiness means we think differently than the world. Verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our minds are to be set on heavenly things. We're not to be consumed with the problems of this life, but instead we're to be hopeful. We're not to, to desire uh, the, the comforts or the riches of this life. It's not that those things are necessarily bad, but that should not be the, our main pursuit like it is in the world. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, he says, there your heart is also. Colossians 3, 2, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. As believers, holiness means we think differently. Secondly, holiness means we should conduct ourselves differently than the world. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions, or you could say the desires is what that means, of your former ignorance. But as he who's called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. It's not just a heart principle. It is that. It's wonderfully that. But it overflows into very 
practical ways of living. Conduct yourself in holiness. How are you doing with that? means we're not to walk in sexual immorality and impurity and deception and greed or any other sin on the list. We're not to walk in accordance with those old passions. Our desire is to please the Lord in thought and in action. And I would just argue that if any of us do not feel out of place in this secular world, there's an issue. If people don't ever feel uncomfortable around us in the way they act, in the way they talk, there's an issue. I'm not saying that we walk around in this holier-than-thou attitude. We don't do that. Because if it were not for Christ, we wouldn't be able to live this out. But just by virtue of us walking in the light. Remember, Jesus talked about people hate the light because they love their evil deeds. And when, you know, this room could be pitch black right now and you light one match and the room is illuminated. And you walk into a room of ungodly people and that room ought to be illuminated with the truth of God. And it makes people uncomfortable. And the hope is that it will lead them by the Lord's kindness and grace to repentance. And if you never feel that tension... If when you're at work, you talk like everybody else and act like everybody else, and there's never any tension, that people can behave however they want around you without any conviction, there's an issue. Holiness means we conduct ourselves diff differently than our, the world. But let me bring one more out that we don't often talk about. There's another component to holiness that we see in the text. Holiness means we love differently than the world. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Listen to me. One of the greatest ways that we can demonstrate holiness is by brotherly love within the church. We're called to love everybody, even our enemies. And that's not just in principle, that's in practicality. Every true believer should be quick to forgive. Actually, I would say they will be quick to forgive. Because if you are not quick to forgive, quick to love, if you're not magnanimous towards others, you know what, will you know what that shows, that testifies to? It means that you have no clue the grace that God has bestowed upon you. If you realize that every single sin that you've committed in your life is first and foremost before a holy God and that it cost Jesus his life. If you understand that, how could you and I not be quick to forgive those who sin against us? Seven times? Well, they keep hurting me. Seven times should I forgive them, Pastor? Seventy times seven. And is that a literal number? Is that what Jesus is getting at? No. Every time someone, I don't care how many times it is, infinitely, you forgive them. Why? Because we are forgiven in Christ the Lord. That is part of holiness. Be holy 
the Lord says, as I am holy, which means we act in a sense like him. And his love and his forgiveness are holy, and thus we should pursue love and forgiveness. So as we grow in holiness, our thinking will be different, our conduct will be different, and our emotions or our love for one another will be different. In closing, I'll just say, if, if it were not for the work of Christ, we'd have no hope. I'll remind you of that, because I don't want this to be a weight upon you. I want it to be a joy, an encouragement to say, you can do this because Christ has done it. What a privilege it is to be redeemed, to be cleansed, to be made holy. We all know what it is to sin and to feel dirty and grimy and far from the Lord. So I said, listen, the news for the, the, the woman caught in adultery that, who we talked about last week, the news about her forgiveness and that there's no condemnation is glorious. But it goes beyond that. The good news is that she can now go because of what Christ is about to do and sin no more. We're called to work out what God is working in. Close with this story from, it's found in our Daily Bread devotional. I've used it before, but I will repeat it a thousand times because it bears repeating. In the forest of northern Europe and Asia lives a little animal called the ermine. Known for his snow white fur. And he instinctively protects his white coat against anything that would soil it. Fur hunters, as a matter of fact, take advantage of this unusual trait in the ermine. They don't set a snare to catch him. But instead, you know what they do? They find his home, which is usually a cleft in a rock or a hollowed out tree. And they smear the entrance and the interior with his grime. And then the hunters will set their dogs loose to find and chase the ermine. The frightened little animal flees towards home, but then refuses to enter because of the filth. Listen. Rather than soil his white coat, he is trapped by the dogs and captured while preserving his purity. For the ermine, purity is more precious than life. I hope to you that more important than fitting in with people out there, more important than feeling accepted, is holiness. Because God has called you and He has called me to be holy as He is holy. May God help us. Stand with me. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you that you are a holy God. You are transcendent in all your ways. We cannot compare to you. We know that a holy God cannot be of, in the presence of sinful man. That's why before Christ there was a veil in the temple separating you from sinful man. But God, out of your abundant mercy, you sent your one and only begotten Son that through him we might have the forgiveness of sins that we may be brought near to you and then 
that we may be able to walk in holiness in ways that are pleasing to you. So if there's one here today that is that testimony of holiness does not line up with the story of his or her life, may that change today. May by your kindness you lead that man or woman to repentance. And may you receive the glory for us. Help us, oh God. Help us to strive to please you in our conduct, in our thinking, in the way that we love one another. We praise this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.